0: You're listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: The numbers from the border are unsurprising. In fact, I've been predicting this, that you'd have an all-time record for April and May of illegal crossing of the U.S.-Mexico border, and here we are. And I can't even say, wow, what a great call, Buck, because it's so obvious Because the Biden Democrats, the Biden-Harris Democrats, don't want the border to be secure. They don't want this to stop. And so it won't. That much is very obvious. There's an amazing, in all the most amusing and somewhat frightening ways, amazing interview with uh, Kamala Harris that NBC News Lester Holt uh, had recently. We'll, We'll talk about that in just a moment here. Father's Day is around the corner, as you know, and if your dad or grandfather served this great country of ours, how cool would it be to give him something really meaningful this year, something that recognized what he gave to this country, something like the American flag. If you know your father or grandfather would be moved by a gift like this, then let let me recommend you to my friends at Allegiance Flag Supply. Everything this country means to your dad is reflected in the quality of the craftsmanship Allegiance Flag Supply puts into their flags. These flags are made in America, which is actually really uncommon, believe it or not. They're hand-sewn by seamstresses in Charleston, South Carolina, whose previous jobs were lost to companies who outsourced overseas. And they're made with materials that do not allow for cutting corners in the manufacturing process. All of this translates into a flag that waves proudly outside your father's home, his dock, or on his boat, and won't get tangled, torn, or shredded in the fashion other flags in the marketplace often do. This is a way to say thank you to Dad on multiple levels this Father's Day. Go to showallegiance.com. Just go to this website, showallegiance.com, and enter promo code BUCK for 10% off your order. showallegiance.com. Enter that promo code BUCK for 10% off your whole order and get yours in time for Father's Day on June 20th. That's showallegiance.com. Enter promo code BUCK for 10% off.
2: Just quickly, put a button. Okay. Do you have any plans to visit the border?
3: I, at some point, you know, I, we are going to the border. We've been to the border. So you, this whole, this whole, this whole thing about the border—we've been to the border. We've been to the border. You haven't been to the border. I, and I haven't been to Europe. And I mean, I don't, I don't understand the point that you're making. I'm not discounting the importance of the border. Well, I,
2: I mentioned it I, because I, even I, I know Republicans have certainly come at you on this. But Democratic Congressman Cuellar, as a border district, has said to the, you and the president, "Come, you need, need to see this." I care
3: about I care about what's happening at the border. The best Kamala
1: Harris soundbite, maybe of all time. And what's amazing, in case you were wondering. Is NBC News cut it out of the main interview segment that they put out there? So they were trying to protect her, of course, because think about what she said in this interview. Think about what what she's going with here. We've been to the border. We've been to the border. She repeats it like three times, like a robot. And Lester Holt is looking at her like, "Excuse me, lady, Madame Vice President, uh, you haven't been to the border." <laughs> I mean, Kamala Harris is amazing, is amazing. Uh, How is this woman vice president again exactly? I mean, go back and look at her political career and go back and look at the early days of her political career and you just find that there are very few surprises here. Very few surprises. Uh, Kamala Harris is somebody who... The elites in the Democrat Party have elevated the Democrat voters, by and large, had no interest in in supporting her for president, as you know. Uh, But the elites, the people that, that make the calls, who run things, they think that Kamala is just fantastic. And now it seems we have a border czar without interest in going to our border. She will fly over the border to get to Central America. She will fly right over it. And this is not like, oh, is this tough for her to do? She's the vice president, folks. She has her own taxpayer-funded jumbo jet. She could get to the border any, literally any day she wants to. She's not like you and me. She can actually just say, you know what, I'm going to the border tomorrow. Staff, make it so. Fly down there, be down there for a couple hours, talk to Border Patrol. Why won't she go down there? Well, because the photo op of her at the border would be visual evidence of her as the border czar, and she wants to avoid that at all costs. She doesn't want people knowing that she's the border czar. I mean, in the long term, because this crisis is not going away. We have effectively an open border, and she doesn't want that photo of her standing there talking to Border Patrol because Come, come the reelection campaign, which she knows is going to be here before you know it, folks. time flies. People will say, hold on a second. you were this was an issue that you were given really at the beginning of the Biden presidency. What have you done with this? How have you fixed it? How have you handled it? The Kamala conversation yesterday around climate change and escaping uh, from corruption and and all the things that she was talking hurricanes we can't stop hurricanes we can't stop corruption in other countries have never been able to do that we can't actually make the problems of every developing country in the third world go away it's not actually possible and this all comes down to an absurd belief or I'm not even sure it's a belief. It's a talking point. I don't think they really believe it, but they like to say it. Democrats like to claim that we can make things good enough in Central America, in Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador specifically. You'll notice not a lot of people coming up from Costa Rica, not a lot of people coming up from countries that are doing pretty well, Um, but that we can change things in those other countries and stop people from showing up. There are... Close to 70 countries now represented at illegal crossings at our border. Close to 70 countries have had their foreign nationals come into, the, to come into America illegally. They are coming from all over the world. The numbers, unofficial but reported for last month, for May, we just got the May numbers in, 170,000-plus apprehensions. And remember, at least thirty or 40,000 gotaways on top of that. Which means people that cross illegally, we just never apprehended them. So that's over 200,000 people who are crossing into the United States illegally. And almost all of them are going to get to stay. And that's one month. That's one month. This is a remarkable situation. And the Democrats simply don't care that our sovereignty is being violated, that our system is being gamed, that our rules are being broken because this benefits them. They, these are future Democrat voters in their minds. That's how they think of it. Yeah, sure, some will become conservative. Some will start a small business and realize the government's not really their friend. And that's going to happen too. But they think on balance, and that's, they're taking a long-term view of this, the Democrats are, on balance, these are mostly Democrat voters. Their children, their families are likely to be aligned with the Democrat Party. Because the Democrat Party is the Open Borders Party, so it all makes sense. You can put all this together pretty quickly. But uh, instead of dealing with this in an in an honest and straightforward way, the Democrats are living in what is honestly a fantasy land. Uh, I mean, here's uh, here's Kamala. For one, she's telling people, "That's right don't don't cross the border. Whatever you do, don't cross." Play one.
3: I want to be clear. To folks in this region who are thinking about making that dangerous trek to the United States-Mexico border, do not come. Do not come. The United States will continue to enforce our laws and secure our border. There are legal methods by which migration can and should occur. But we, as one of our priorities, will discourage illegal migration. And I believe if you come to our border, you will be turned back.
1: I believe if you come to our border, no, they won't. Does she not know that? Is she so ignorant of what's really happening at the border that she's not aware of the reality? It's tough to say she hasn't been there. Yes, she also says she hasn't been to Europe, as if that has anything to do with anything, folks this administration is a bunch of buffoons at the the top level. I mean, there's a a tremendous mediocrity now that is running the country. And look, I, I was honest with you. I said there were some good Trump appointees and some who were really bad. Trump's Trump's weaknesses were his primary weaknesses were nepotism and personnel, Around him, you know it's true. We all know it's true. He even admits it. Basically, now that it's all done and uh, all done and over with, uh, the Democrats don't have really, from my perspective, any capable personnel at the very top level of this administration. Not Biden. Not his vice president. And when I say capable, I mean people who are, who are able to make highly complicated assessments of of policy I mean or or of highly complicated situations and approach it with a rational and and uh, reasonable viewpoint about what's really going to happen what the results are actually going to be no we've got ideologues it's like the faculty lounge of Bard College is running the United States government that is not good that's not working out well for us and this is how you could have Kamala going down to Central America telling everybody about how we're going to change things there so people stop coming here. Uh, I hate to break the news tour, but for a El Salvadoran without a high school education and, and who perhaps is is barely able to read uh, the United States is a much better option than El Salvador is going to be economically, at least for you know the next probably forever, but certainly for their lifetime. El Salvadorian, El Salvadorians who come to the United States, I understand why they're coming. Same thing with Hondurans. same thing with Guatemalans. I get it. America's a better deal. But we also take in a million legal immigrants every year. So if Democrats just want to add to that million number with a lot of illegal immigrants, they should just say so instead of pretending that they don't want illegal immigration because they do. This is where we are. People talking about how we're going to change the dynamic here because we're going to make Central Americans uh, and Northern Triangle countries specifically want to stay home. Yes, that's right. Kamala's visit and her telling them don't come. Is that going to be more compelling or is the prospect of living in the best economy in what is still the freest, most powerful nation in the world? Is that going to be more compelling? Uh, They're quite clearly voting with their feet and showing up in the hundreds of thousands
3: because they know that what Kamala's saying is absurd.
2: Is, yeah. there, is there a quid pro quo, if you do this, we'll do this?
3: No, it, it's not about quid pro quo. It's simply about understanding, if if nothing else, that the, the return on our investment is the same return on your investment that if you have a neighbor on your block where you grew up who's having a hard time, it's in... The best interest, not only of your neighbor, but yourself to to help them out. Right. And um, that's how we think about this work. What is the United States interest in this? We're prepared to show up and do it in a way that is motivated by the best interest of diplomacy and democracy and goodwill.
1: I mean, she's babbling like a high school student doing model U.N. here. And I've I've been to those things, so I know what I'm talking about. What? The diplomacy, democracy, what? There are problems. What are the solutions? We don't want people, she says, at least, we don't want people coming into America illegally. She says, don't come. How do we prevent them from coming? Oh, it's very simple, really. You increase enforcement at the border. You change the policy so there's a remain in Mexico policy so people can't game the asylum system. The Trump administration learned this, implemented it. That's it. But, no, they do the exact opposite. Why? Because whatever Trump did must be bad. And whatever benefits the Democrat Party must be good. But, I mean, this is, this is laughable stuff she's talking about here. And frankly, it's, it's just, a, it's, it's absurd. A, a quid pro quo, she's being asked about a quid pro quo. I mean, at least Lester Holt is trying to get at, all right, what is, what is Central America really going to do here? These Central American countries, what are they going to do to stop the continued flow? And she's saying, oh, you know, we're going to give them some aid money. And we're asking them, you know, the the uh, the president of Guatemala, I think it was just yesterday, said that the reason that so many of his people are going to America is because the Biden administration has just straight up said it, has made this very clear. So anyone who's looking at the situation and trying to be serious and honest about it understands what's going on here. Democrats have have kicked the border wide open. And now they're saying, "Whoa, what's going on with this open border situation? I guess we got to do something about this." Oh, but it's not open borders. It's not a catastrophe. It's not a crisis. Let's manage the optics of it first and foremost. You know, she used that analogy of, you know, you got a neighbor in trouble and you got to help the neighbor, so you're going to Okay, well, if if your neighbor's house burns down and your neighbor sees your house and says, "Hey, hold on a second. Uh, I I can just move into your house and live there, too. You it's you can show up and like offer them, you know, uh, uh, know, offer them some some food. You can show up and say, hey, you know, I got you some takeout or whatever trying to help you out. But they're still going to say, I think I want to go live in the big house on the corner of the block here. I want to leave my dilapidated house and I'm going to oh, I get to just move into your house. I'm going to do that. That's the part of this that she doesn't understand. If if our game, if if what the Democrat plan here really is, is based on us making other countries places that people who want to come to America will stay in instead of coming to America, we better find a way to turn the rest of the world into Switzerland, Monaco, you know, maybe some parts of the United Kingdom or else we got a big problem. And this is this is not serious. Their argument here is stupid. It doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. We've been giving aid to these countries in Central America for decades. We've been you know, having diplomatic relations and paying State Department bureaucrats and all these people to have agreements with these countries. Ultimately, this is about incentives, right? Warren Buffett, show me the incentive and I'll show you the result. Might, that might have been Charlie Munger, his number two, but it's one of them. Show me the incentive. I'll show you the result. What is the incentive here? If you come to the U.S.-Mexico border right now on foot and you are part of a family unit, you have children with you, you are going to get into the United States. Almost guaranteed. Once you're in the United States, there's no enforcement because the Biden administration doesn't want to enforce federal immigration law, so you're free to stay as long as you want. That is what is actually happening so we we can have this whole talk and we can we can pretend like oh no there's other stuff no that's what's going on here and and kamala acting like it's weird that she hasn't been to it's weird that people are asking why she hasn't been to the border is the most perfect summation of her control over this policy portfolio you could ever come up with what do you mean i actually have to do something and show up It's not just enough to be Kamala. It's not just enough to be the vice president. I have to actually do this stuff and handle this problem and people will judge my results. Mm -mm. No, let's let's just uh, do another, you know, favorable press interview or deliver another boring canned speech somewhere, you know, and and get ready for another Vanity Fair cover or something. Right. Give me a break. Uh, We've we've been to the border, she says, three times. No, you haven't. <laughs> okay. We, we've been to the border, she says. False. And even NBC News knew to cut that out of the interview. Isn't that so perfect? Oh, to be such a bunch of supplicating, sycophantic, worthless li- little uh, cowards in the media. That That's what we have now. Oh, they're all just whatever we can do to help Biden's vice president. Uh, you know, that's what we have to do. You know, whatever we can do. No, that's not the way this is supposed to go. But we know that that's also—it's an unserious argument that journalism is a nonpartisan and and fact-based or 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 facts first profession. Right? It's narrative first. There are facts in the narrative, but the the primary purpose is the narrative creation, and it always favors one side. It's dominated by Democrats. You know, there are plenty of countries where there's only one political ideology reflected in the in the news media i mean there are authoritarian regimes generally but there are plenty of countries where that's the play where that's the uh situation so we, we shouldn't act like this is unthinkable it's, that's what we're in in this country now half the country is republican and five percent or less of the media is republican now why is that happening exactly oh because the left understands how to seize nodes of control And the left also is ideologically like an invasive species. You know, when those when the fish that will come from some other country will take over and all of a sudden all the the local fish or this happens with birds and other species, ideologically leftists infiltrate an institution and cannot coexist with others. And they take the whole thing over. When you spend a lot of time in the great outdoors, you know Mother Nature doesn't always play nice. SA Company has all the protective gear you need to brave the elements and explore more every day. Like their multi-use face shields, UPF 30, lightweight and breathable, they come in dozens of eye-catching designs for the entire family, perfect for your next outdoor adventure i've got a bunch of them myself and i love wearing them you're going to really appreciate not only the cool designs but how comfortable and breathable they are that's what i love about sa face shields and when you use them as bandanas a neck gaiter, face mask there's so many different ways you realize it's just a great investment you should have a bunch of these by your front door for every outdoor adventure you and your family are going to go on sa company believes in giving back to the men and women who put themselves in the front lines every day through their partnership with Operation Gratitude, S.A. Company has donated over 100,000 face shields. With every order, they donate one face shield to first responders. And right now they're offering an insane deal. Buy one face shield, get four free. A $150 value for just $24.99. Just go to safishing.com buck to get five face shields for the price of one, plus a lifetime warranty and free returns. That's S-A, like Sam Adams, S-A-Fishing.com, S-A-Fishing.com slash buck.
4: You know, I found it curious that, that, that Kamala in that press conference said we're enforcing our laws when they're not. They're letting people go. It's a giant turnstile where they're letting them go. You're just showing now footage of the wall. They halted construction of the wall and they had these huge holes where they won't put in the gates. They just leave, leave it open. It, it, it is... And, and, and let me step back for a second. There's a reason Kamala Harris doesn't want to go to the border. There's a reason Joe Biden doesn't want to go to the border. Because they know that if they go, the reporters will follow them. The TV cameras will follow them. Their strategy is simple. It's try to cover this up. You know, you're airing this on Fox, and I'm grateful that you are. But you know where they're not airing this? On CNN on ABC, CBS, NBC, not, none of the the corrupt corporate media is even acknowledging this exists and that's why Kamala and 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 Joe are not going to the border because they know if they go it'll drive the coverage and they don't have a solution to this crisis so they're prepared for it to just get worse and worse and worse.
1: He's absolutely right and as I've said, they don't want footage of them at the border wall. They don't want an association of this administration's top people, Biden and Harris, at our southern border. A visual reminder for everybody that can come back in the election cycle. Here they are, folks. Yeah, how'd they do with the border thing? No, th- that way the media can downplay it. And it's a problem of the bureaucracy, you see. It's a, it's a problem of border patrol. We don't have enough resources for resources for HHS. This was happening under Trump, too. They spin it. That's why they show up at the border. They actually have to have they have video and photo taken of them. Kamala gets told to her face by the chief of the Rio Grande sector or chief of uh, of you know San Diego sector of Border Patrol, wherever it may be. She gets told we have a crisis here, and she hears that. That comes back to haunt her, or that comes back to be a problem for the Biden administration. When a week later. They're going to have Jen Psaki in the West Wing of the White House saying there is no crisis at the border. There's no crisis. No, it's not a crisis, right? That's the, they're trying to manage the optics of this. This that's all solutions. They're they're going to they're going to give money to Central American countries so they have less climate change. Give me a break. I mean, it's, it's it's dumb. There's no. They don't even have a good argument. This there's, there's not even. You can't be a serious person and think this administration's trying to. Stop the illegal flow into this country. One hundred and seventy thousand just apprehensions the month of May. We're going to have over a million, maybe closer to two million illegal immigrants entering the country this first year of the Biden administration. I'm sorry. I I think that's a lot of people. Plus, uh, of course, a million legal immigrants coming in through the process that we have designated that wants to bring in that we want. We, the American people and our duly elected representatives creating laws want legal immigrants in the country. But we, we, didn't, we didn't sign up for this. At least we didn't think we were. Million plus illegal immigrants, illegal immigrants coming into America. That, that wasn't part of this. That wasn't supposed to be. But this, is, this is what we're going to get. This is what you're going to see. <laughs> the whole Biden-Harris approach to the border, it's as though we've hired a security company to make sure that you know, bank robbers can't get into our vaults. And the first thing that the Biden Harris security company, bank security company does, they show up, they take all the locks off the doors, they cut the silent alarm, they cut the actual alarms on the windows. uh, And instead of having a great, great big, you know, one of those kind of spinning lock things they have on the safe, Instead of that, they just have a, a slightly ajar door with a, hey, please don't steal our stuff sign put on it. And they're walking around saying, oh, we really want the bank robbers to stop getting into the vault, taking the money. We really want them to stop doing that. And the rest of us are looking at them like are you, this is gaslighting, right? You're, you're messing with us. That's the situation of our southern border in a nutshell. That's what's actually going on here. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out for Democrats in the midterms. I hope Republicans are making this case, continue to make this case. The, the lawlessness, the lack of respect. I mean, they talk about our institutions and our democracy. How can they claim to have respect for our democracy when they're encouraging people to break our laws and then want to give them the right to vote as soon as they can once they're in this country? I mean, it'd be a fascinating experiment. Ask a Democrat friend of yours. So, you know, an immigrant from Central America who came into the country illegally uh, breaks our laws. Should they be able to vote as soon as they get here? If not, why not ask them? They, they will not have any answers for you. They will not have any answers. They'll just babble and say, oh, you're being xenophobic or something. They'll they'll attack you, but they won't admit it the same way that one of one of the experiments that I've run many times is I ask a Democrat, you say you don't want. Democrats say, Harris and Biden say it. They don't want illegal immigration. Don't come, Kamala Harris says. Why, I ask. Why? you know, is, Isn't that a fair... Why does she think people shouldn't come? The answer is because it's dangerous to them on the way. Is that the only reason? Is that the only reason? They won't tell you. Is there a downside to illegal immigration for... The people of America. If they don't have an answer to that, if they're not going to say, yes, it, 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 it creates uh, lawlessness and it undermines our, our system of government and it makes people feel like there are two tiers of justice and it overcrowds. In some parts of the country where there's a lot of illegal immigrant flow, it overcrowds emergency rooms, it overcrowds schools. There is a crime component to illegal immigration. The cartels are getting rich over this. There are, you know, there are transnational gangs that use these pipelines to recruit for MS-13. If they're not willing to talk about any of that, and they're not, and they think it's xenophobic and horrible to even bring these things up, why, why is Kamala telling people don't come? Why isn't she just making sure that it's safer for them? Right. And and that would be really easy. Right. Just tell anybody, OK, show up at a port of entry and you get you get to come into the country. We're not turning anyone away. Anymore. That would make it really safe. What What's the downside in that? When you when you try to force Democrats to answer the question, why aren't you for an open border? You see that they want a de facto open border. They just don't want to defend it publicly. They, they want the result of an open border, but they don't want to make the argument in front of the bulk of the American people who still believe that we should have immigration laws and they should be enforced. I mean, the same people that were willing to have folks dragged by the hair, basically, out of a restaurant or you know, out of a, a church for not double masking are like, ah, oh, immigration laws, we don't really, that, those aren't real laws. You're noticing a pattern here, aren't you? the only only laws that count are the ones that the Democrats ideologically are invested in. The law, as a general concept, is a joke to them. It's just something to be manipulated for their own ends. Same thing with our system of government. When something comes out of our system of government, Democrats like it, they say, this is our sacred democracy in action. When something completely legitimately comes out of our system, through Congress, out of the legislature, and Democrats don't let work through the Supreme Court, I think of the recent... Decision uh, from the nine justices about illegal immigrants applying for legal status in this country, nine zero came down. Democrats say, oh, well, this is, uh, this is undermining our system or this is white supremacy in action or this is you know, reason why we need to forget all about the Constitution. They don't have principles. They have desires. It's not the same thing. And you're seeing it with, with the border as clearly as you are anywhere else. Speaking of uh, of masking and their their desire to enforce things, this is a, a reminder, I think, for a lot of conservatives now, that if if our goal is to create a, a system, if we're always trying to set up choice in in different ways when it comes to policy, you know, oh, we'll, we'll let businesses decide for themselves. And Democrats, the moment they can, are pushing their preference through government power, we lose. This is what has been happening. And this is a big transformation in the thought process of a lot of conservatives. And it is part of, I believe, the Trump era of the Republican Party right now. We say, hold on, our our desire to create a neutral space is effectively just us allowing the other side to come up with a way to fill that neutral space. You, know, you see this with curriculum in schools across the country. You see this with approach to so many issues. We think, hold on, let's just let it be left to, you know, individual uh, in, individual decision making or the local level or whatever. But often Democrats come and find a way to make it federal, find a way to make it top down national. And then that's what we're living with. Well, I'm happy to see that Greg Abbott, instead of just allowing this to be a situation Where where uh, businesses that have all kinds of regulations for you know they gotta have regulations of how wide the doors into the bathrooms are they gotta have regulations about how you know the breaks they give employees and who they can hire and how they can hire all the business regulations out there. State of Texas, thanks to Governor Abbott, is saying you're not allowed to block people from your uh, public accommodation from your establishment. Based on vaccination status. Play 14.
2: Texas is open 100%. And we want to make sure that you have the freedom to go where you want without limits. The Texas legislature passed a law that I am about to sign that prohibits vaccine passports in Texas. No business or government entity can require a person to provide a vaccine passport or any other vaccine information.
1: They cannot require it. I was going to go to a restaurant here in New York over the weekend, a place I've gone many times, but it's in, you know, it's it's owned by Libs. I know it is. And they had a if you're going to dine inside, we require proof of your vaccination. And I just want to say, you know, if you're going to operate an establishment in the United States, in New York City, uh, I think you shouldn't be allowed to be such psychos. How about that? And say, oh, Buck, but businesses, there are a lot of regulations on businesses, friends, a lot of health and OSHA and health department, all kinds of stuff that comes into play. It's not just the market. Let's, let's stop pretending we live in some free market absolutist society where it's all just no, we're, we're already in a world. Where well, there's all kinds of regulations protecting consumers from the neuroses of businesses that are are aligned, obviously, with a political ideology in the process, sounds good to me. Your private health information cannot be required as cannot be required as disclosure for you to go into a restaurant in Texas. Great. This should happen in other states, too. The longer the stupid jackasses in charge of places like California and New York play these games and require masking for kids in schools and require vaccine passports, the more people like me realize you got to get out of here. You just we just got to get out of here. Places are run by morons. Oh, the masks are going to save us. Yeah. How'd that work out? How their mask mania really work out? I saw an estimate today. What have I been telling you? Estimate today, 150 million people infected in this country. They consider that at the upper end, but that's that's the higher end estimate. And I'm sure it is the higher end. So basically half the country ended up getting covid in one capacity or another. Close to half the country with all of our masking, all of our lockdowns. Yeah. What an amazing policy Fauci came up with.
3: They elected a 50 50 Senate, shrunk Democrats majority in the House and took President Biden up on a promise to unite the country. So the question at the outset of this work period is how Democrats will use their razor razor thin majority over the next few weeks. Unfortunately, the Democratic leader already signaled his answer a week ago by laying out a June agenda that is transparently designed to fail. As I understand it, Senate Democrats intend to focus this month on the demands of their radical base.
1: It's, it's going to fail... But that also may be, and I want to prepare you all for this, that might be a benefit to the Democrats in the midterms. If they were really able to do some of the things that they want to do right now, uh, if they were able to get, let's say, an amnesty bill through, the country would see the results of Democrat policies in ways that might be really uh, anxiety-producing. Let's put it that way. But because of gridlock, and you remember this from the Obama years, this is a repeat all over again, because, and gridlock, by the way, I think gridlock in government is good on a lot of things. On major legislation, you should require a, a clear consensus of the people to dramatically transform a major part of American life or to, to have a transformational policy enacted as law. It shouldn't be under a razor thin margin. It shouldn't be, oh, well, we we have 50.1% of the vote and therefore we're going to do something that dramatically uh, shifts the trajectory of of American health care or American immigration or any number of things. So I'm all for it, but this creates a narrative that the Democrats are very comfortable with and because they have the media in their back pocket, they're in a position to just continue on this. This creates a narrative of, oh, if if only the Republicans weren't standing in our way, we, the Democrats, would do all these great things for the American people. We, the Democrat Party and the left, would have enacted, you know, universal pre-K and we would wipe away all your college student loans and we would, I don't know, would think of something that they love to promise and don't deliver on. And as we get closer to the election, you know what they're going to say? We brought you Biden, a normal presidency. It's normalcy. Are you going to vote against normalcy? It's not Trump. You know, things are okay. Things are going pretty well. Uh, You know, it's normal. That's what they will put out there. And you say, well, that's not compelling. That's not transformational but it might be enough for them to hold their very slim uh, majority in the House and perhaps in, in the Senate they'll be able to get 51 or 52 seats. Who knows? In, in essence, the Democrats, they don't see it this way. They are being protected from their more radical and transformational impulses by a GOP that will not go along with it, which may end up being to their electoral benefit. Right? Why isn't Bernie Sanders president? Because Democrats realized the establishment, the elites realized that the country wasn't ready for a socialist as president. He wasn't going to win. They may recognize the same thing in the midterm. So there's a part of me that feels like they actually benefit from their agenda failing, as Mitch McConnell points out. We've got a big announcement to make here on the show that affects the show. And it also affects one of our favorite uh, people in this business he's certainly his favorite person in this business but our good buddy jesse kelly you may have seen somewhere on social media today the announcement (laughs) some of the media coverage that he is taking over the coveted six to nine slot for premier radio networks coast to coast jesse kelly is going to be on over 200 stations with the jesse kelly show and he joins us now What's, what's it like in that rarefied air up there, buddy? How is it to, to be king of the world today, Eh?
5: Well, it's just, i got to be honest, Buck, it's something I always knew I deserved. So it's something I really saw coming from the very beginning. I woke up every day and thought to myself, well, obviously you're going to take over the world. So I'm not, I, I'd love to say I'm surprised, Buck, but I mean, who deserves it more than someone with almost three years of community college credits?
1: Very proud of you, big guy. Everyone's very excited. <laughs> and for everybody listening on a terrestrial station right now across across the country, uh, our buddy Jesse Kelly is going to be in 6 to 9. As you all know, I'm going to be moving 12 to 3 with Clay Travis on Premier Networks, and Jesse Kelly on Premier Networks will be your 6 to 9. So those of you listening down in WIOD Miami and WFLA Tampa, and uh, out in Salt Lake City and out in San Diego and out in Portland. Now, Jesse, do you even realize you're going to have to learn all these call letters, buddy? Are you are you aware of this? This is going to have to be I mean, you're going to have to be able to sit there. Yeah, I know, you know, KPRC Houston and you're still going to be on KPRC Houston, but I, you got to have to learn all these letters. So you, there, there is a, a catch
5: here. Well, I think it's important for people to understand that I have such a low intellect. I won't even attempt to memorize all the letters. I'm just going to have to have a list in front of me that tells you what they are, because I'll remember the faces at the stations, and I'll remember the towns, and I love the cities. I'll remember where to eat, but I won't remember the actual call letters because that's the important thing, so that's what my mind will lose.
1: What should people know about what they will be hearing? I mean, they're getting a sense of it right now. But what they'll be hearing from you for now, three hours in syndication on the Jesse Kelly show from six to nine
5: Eastern time. I'm not going to make you miserable. Look, we're going to obviously talk about politics and the big news of the day. And we're going to make fun of Joe Biden and talk about how unbelievably screwed we are and how we should get a national divorce and things like that. But you're not going to get done after three hours and just be miserable. We have fun and laugh and I'm going to make fun of myself and you. And I'll be offensive and it's just it it should be fun. My job is not to save the world, it's just to make your better your day better for 15 minutes at a time. That's all I'm here to do. I,
1: I think that's a, a mission, folks, that Jesse is going to complete with gusto. So you should definitely plan to tune in. Do we know, Jesse, when your first day of the national syndication
5: begins? Twenty eighth. June twenty eighth will be the opening of the the Jesse Kelly show that went supernova. And by the way, I should note. To the audience that I know loves you so much, Uh, your your man Buck Sexton is hugely responsible for the reason I'm sitting in that radio chair. I want everybody to know that, that I know he plays a big jerk on the radio, but behind the scenes he reaches out and helps people who he has no business helping. And I have never done anything for Buck Sexton, and he reaches out and helps me continuously with advice and making the proper connections so
1: thank you my brother oh dude you are so welcome but obviously officially i can neither confirm nor deny that i i go to war behind the scenes to help out my man jesse kelly whenever possible so (laughs) you know i can neither officially confirm or deny other than just to say you're you're most welcome my friend and most deserving and i'm honestly happy on so many levels happy for you happy for your family i mean 200 plus stations this is you're going to have I mean, I don't want to say what the exact numbers. It's going to be one of the ten biggest radio shows in America, that's for sure. Uh, so I don't know if that's sunk in for you yet, but you'll be in the top ten by audience and pretty pretty deep into that top ten. Although I don't want to I don't want to cause any problems with any other any other <laughs> hosts out there, but uh, you're definitely going to be in the top ten for conservative talk uh, in terms of audience you'll be reaching, which is great. And uh, and and I I just also think, man, that it's good to see good people doing well because this audience that I've now spent. Uh, gosh, five years with six to nine. They are now being entrusted into your into your capable and freakishly large hands. So there you go.
5: Well, the, the good news is, like you pointed out, I am 6'8", so my hands are enormous, but it, it is not lost on me that they have been well served and well taken care of for five years. I can't promise you a high intellect or level of education or anything else. I can promise you this, though. I will, I, I will go into it knowing. This audience has certain demands because of Buck Sexton, and I plan on delivering.
1: Are you going to give them some good history special stuff, Jesse? Because oh, I get this request all the time and have now for all almost 10 years I've been in radio. And I've done a few history specials and gone in-depth de- in and detail a few times. It's never enough, though, for the folks who love it. They're like, where's the next one? I'm like, oh, gosh, I got, I got to do the research. I got to do the research. Is, is history going to be a big part of the show
5: you're going to do? Well, history is, I mean, history, right now my show is nationally syndicated, but it's much, much, much smaller. I mean, nothing even close to this level. And the first hour of my show is a history story every single day. Now, I'm not carrying that over to this because I actually have, by the grace of God, they're so wonderful to work with. Premier Networks has allowed me to start a once a week separate history podcast. It's not part of my show. I look at everything through a historical perspective. So it'll be part of the Daily Show. It'll be a part of every single Daily Show. And then I get a separate podcast once a week where I'm not limited by commercials or teasers or time or anything. I can sit down and just tell a story. History is what I geek out on more than anything. So we're going to have a lot of fun. There
1: you go, folks. Jesse Kelly now in national syndication, hitting the airwaves June 28th and if you're listening right now uh that's that's you're going to be hearing jesse kelly starting june 28th at this time as you all know i'm moving 12 to 3 jesse's moving in six to nine I, i'm just gonna sit here and say it. i mean we got glenn beck clan buck hannity jesse I, I don't i don't think you could have a stronger radio lineup than that folks i, I think I... Premier is is uh is like the avengers of radio right now
5: well, I mean, I guess that's what makes them premiere. That's why they have the reputation they have. It's the one. It's the one. You know, it's a dream to work with them. Honestly, it's everyone wants that phone call. It's the phone call everyone who does what we do dreams about getting. It's not lost on me that I'm the luckiest guy on the planet that I got one. I know you feel the same way. And I, like I said, my day is 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 my job is not to lead America. It's just to make your day better. I plan on doing. So.
1: Jesse. Speaking of which, we got people who are listening, who are tuning in now, who are joining us. And they're probably thinking, well, tell us about what's going on. So we've got we know that Jesse's going into national syndication, June 28th, six to nine premier networks across the country, 200 stations. So we put that one in. We know that Kamala Harris has still not gone to the border. <laughs> and you've been you've been something of a of a Kamala expert, I think, for some time now in the media. You've been covering the vice president uh, quite closely. And, and I just think that this is it's going to be fascinating to watch the corporate Democrat media, try to explain to us all that even though there's no success or even clarity in the Kamala-led policies at the border or anywhere else for that matter right now, she's amazing, and if you don't agree with that, you're a terrible person.
5: Oh, Oh, I have to tell you, I think there's something deeper going on here, Buck, too. And I said this right when Joe Biden put Kamala Harris in charge of the border. The border is a disaster. Everyone listening right now knows that. I know your audience knows that. But I don't know that people know the scale. We're looking at 3 million this year. 3 million. That's 1% of the population of the United States of America is going to come here illegally in the year 2021. That is a disaster like no nation has faced as far as immigration goes in that period of time. Joe Biden immediately puts Kamala Harris in charge of it. I think, and I've had this theory for a while, Kamala Harris is never going to the border because she doesn't want to be caught on TV or on camera down at the border in a situation that is a disaster for Democrats. There's a city in Texas called McAllen, Texas. It's always Democrat all the time. I think they voted for Joe Biden like plus 15. They just voted in a Republican mayor. Republican mayors do not get elected in McAllen, Texas. It's right down there on the border. It just happened. I think Kamala Harris is running away from an issue Joe Biden gave to her on purpose to make her look bad. And she knows it'll make her look bad, so she is going to avoid this thing like the plague. That's my theory.
1: And I think that the Biden administration is hoping that the way the media—by the way, you and I totally agree on—Kamala knows the the optics of this. Her talking to somebody in a border patrol uniform at the border becomes oppo when she yep. decides that she's either taking over for Biden or running or whatever's going to happen. Because there's no way to spin what's going on, especially as the year gets through and we have the full numbers. This is the worst the border, Jesse. I mean, I was down in McAllen about, what, two months ago now, and they were all saying it. And I mean, everybody at the border, Border Patrol, everyone you talk to, local politicians, the worst it has ever been. I mean, going back even to the 90s.
5: Well, Buck, we invited him in. We have that Joe Biden clip that I know you've played where he invited a surge at the border. They they told everyone to come. Uh, we have 10,000 Venezuelans this year. They're coming from deep down in South America now. It's not just Central America anymore. And they they used to release people with a court date to show up to court, which in and of itself is a joke because most people don't show up. Now we're getting so many people they don't even have time to give them a court date. They're releasing them into America with the promise that they'll get back to them on their court date that they then won't show up for. This is this is a bad problem now and it's only going to compound as the year goes on and she is uh, Kamala Harris is if not is nothing if not ambitious. She has worked <clears throat> very hard to get where she is. She's not going to waste that on a border issue.
1: You think that the, the enough voters, you know, when we always say the American people, there's 30 or 40% And we're speaking to Jesse Kelly, folks, as you know, going into national syndication on six to nine on premier networks. Uh, I'm moving 12 to three. Jesse's moving six to nine. We got a great, great lineup on premier. uh, That's that's getting some some movement here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, Jesse, the we we can't convince 30 or 40 percent of Democrat voters. It doesn't matter what happens. Right. I mean, we could have hyperinflation. And, and Biden could could fire everybody in Border Patrol and we could defund all the police. They'd still vote Democrat. It Do, doesn't matter. So when I say are, you know, the American people, I mean, are those who are persuadable one way or the other seeing enough of what this administration's so-called normalcy and unity looks like that they're that they're worried about how this is going to go in the midterms and there might be a Biden administration that's effectively boxed in and can't get very much done. Or you think you think that they believe this is going well for them politically? That that's really what the heart of the question is.
5: I asked this exact same question to somebody who has a bunch of inside sources. I'll put it this way: in the White House, and the response I got back it really rung true. What Joe Biden has around him, the people running the country, are Barack Obama's people. These are not people who care about winning a midterm or winning re These are 100% committed cultural Marxists. They are going to, they don't care that they won't pass legislation. They're going to tear through this country like a blowtorch through Butter. They don't care that they'll lose in the midterms. They don't care they'll lose in 2024. Because as soon as they lose, these people aren't out of a job. They walk right back into academia and all make half a million dollars a year at CNN or Yale or something like that. You have to understand how insidious this is. These people hate the country. I'm not trying to, you know, build that up for radio. The people in charge of America hate America. They don't care about legislation. They don't care that it's a disaster. This isn't going poorly for Democrats. It's going exactly as planned. That's how bad it is.
1: Jesse Kelly, everybody, taking over six to nine national syndication on Premier Networks starting June 28th. This time slot, folks, in great hands going forward. You're going to be listeners then, I know. So you can listen 12 to three. You You'll listen six to nine. Get everything you need. Courtesy of Premier Network's Jesse. Congratulations again, my friend. Honestly, a heartfelt congratulations, and thanks for joining us.
5: Be good, my brother. I owe you. Appreciate you.
2: We had the January 6th insurrection, and now you have Trump
1: out on the road once again because he hasn't been pushed to the side by his party, again, repeating these same dangerous lies. And, Wolf, I think there's a very strong chance that we may see more political
2: violence in this country stoked and incited by this president. He's done it before. It looks like he may do it again.
1: He's going to do it again, folks. Another insurrection any moment now from Trump. They're never going to quit. They're never going to stop saying this stuff. And, and while you and I can brush this aside and say, come on, it's, it's so obvious. It's such cheap theater. All right, Trump's not calling for it. There was no insurrection in the first place. There was a protest that turned into a riot. And yet now they're saying that Trump is going to have another insurrection attempt. Why do they keep bringing this up? Because it feeds the need that Democrats have to really despise the other side. God forbid they actually take a moment to think about how destructive, you know, things like critical race theory and Planned Parenthood and Marxism and all you know, these these now increasingly central ideas for the Democrat Party. You know, God forbid they actually take a moment to think about what they're doing to the country. No, it's so much more preferable to focus on how evil the Republicans are because we're, we're all sitting around plotting another insurrection. No, we're plotting a way to win back seats in the next election and to win the presidency back from this sub mediocre idiot, Joe Biden. That's what we're plotting. OK, that's what we do. That's how our side does things. And they know that at some level, which is one of the reasons why they want to work so hard to get H.R. one passed, so they can just Just like they do with the border, they kick it wide open so that there really are no rules or regulations to speak of that are meaningful. It's it's so easy to break the law, so easy to break through. They want to do the same thing with with elections. Sure, they say they want secure elections, but let's eliminate all the safeguards. Sure, they say they want a secure border, but let's eliminate all the safeguards. Let's get rid of the only ways that we would have to to stop bad things from happening, to stop violations of law and also make it effectively impossible to even know what's going on, to have any transparency, doesn't that, doesn't that seem like a, a theme here? Whether it's the border, elections. Oh, no, sure, they, they want it to work just fine. They just want to make sure that whatever we try to do to make it work, they stop, they stand in the way of. Whenever it comes to more secure elections, Democrats have a problem. Whenever it comes to more secure border actions, the Democrats have a problem. Border enforcement, really. Listen to the rhetoric they're using now. Listen to the way they speak about these issues. I mean, here's a uh, Congressman Clyburn who is, is straight up telling us if, if we don't allow for the the uh, the federalization of elections. Which is contrary to the actual constitutional intent and states to run their elections. But if we don't allow for essentially a federal overhaul by Democrats with a razor thin majority in Congress to change the way elections are conducted, uh, we're going to end up like the Roman Empire. Place seven.
4: You know, when I
2: used to teach history, I used to tell my students all the time I don't want you to remember the two dates. When I was uh, studying history, people tell me about the dates 476 AD. That's the year the Roman Empire fell and cast the whole world into darkness. And it did not come to light again until 1066 when William the Conqueror opened it up again. And if we're not careful, this the greatest democracy on the face of the earth will go the way of the Roman Empire. The history is very clear. And so I would say this is not a democratic problem. This is not a problem for Democrats. This is a problem for every person in these United States of America, and we'd better wake up or we are going to find ourselves going the way for the Roman Empire and many other sins.
1: That's right. Pass H.R. 1 or it'll be like the fall of Rome. Not not, uh, worried about hyperinflation, unsustainable spending, uh, open borders. You're not worried about any of that. Pass H.R. 1 or will be the Roman Empire in in, in in its decline, in its collapse. Hmm, I, I think there's a lot of parts of that history that uh, Congressman Clyburn might want to go back and, and revisit um, because it wasn't the absence of H.R. 1, I can assure you, that caused the fall of ancient Rome. It shouldn't matter what your politics are. You should be able to share your thoughts online and conduct your Internet activity without being spied on. But guess what? You can't. It's the reality of the world we live in right now. You know it, I know it. If you're a conservative, you're being suppressed, you're being surveilled, you might even be targeted. You need to fight back against big tech's control of the internet with a virtual private network, a VPN. The one that I use, the best one in the marketplace right now is ExpressVPN. With ExpressVPN, it's just an app you have on your computer or your smartphone. You anonymize a lot of your online presence by hiding your IP address. That makes your activity much more difficult to trace and sell to advertisers. An ExpressVPN encrypts 100% of your network data to protect you from eavesdroppers and cyber criminals. What I like most is how easy it is to use. It takes just one click to protect all your devices. That's why ExpressVPN is rated number one by CNET and Wired. Revoke big tech's right to your data. Secure your internet with the VPN I trust for online protection. Visit expressvpncom buck that's expressvpn.com/buck to get three extra months free with my exclusive link on a one-year package that's right three months free on a one-year deal when you go to expressvpn.com/buck right now to learn more protect yourself and your privacy online with ExpressvPN
2: I also think that there are certain right-wing uh, media venues for example that monetize and capitalize on stoking the fear and resentment of uh, a white population that is witnessing a changing America and seeing uh, demographic changes and and do everything they can to give people a sense that um, uh, their way of life is threatened and that people are trying to take advantage of them. And we're seeing it right now, right? Where Uh, You would think, with all the public policy debates that are taking place right now, that you know the Republican Party would be engaged in a significant debate about uh, how are we going to deal with the economy and what are we going to do about climate change and what are we going to do about, lo and behold, the the single most uh, important issue to them apparently right now is critical race theory. Who knew that that (laughs) that was the threat to our republic?
1: Another classic Obama tactic here of the of the creation. First of all, the gaslighting then the creation of a massive straw man. Really, do we do we not talk about anything but critical race theory? What, what did I lead the show with today? The border. Well, what is the primary news story in America right now? It's the it's the disaster at the border. How many times have you seen people on the right talking about the weak Biden recovery, the weak. Biden jobs market compared to what it should be, the overspending. No, we talk about all these things, but oh, let's pretend that there is a a hyper focus, an exaggerated focus on critical race theory. And, and really what Obama's getting at here is he's saying that that there's a a GOP play on on resentment that's going on here. That's what he's that's what he's getting at. He's saying, oh, well, they're just they're playing up resentments. Uh, Well, no, what's actually happening is we're looking at the effort that the left uses with critical race theory to indoctrinate children and university students and now corporations and now government action to make distinctions about people based upon race is racist. That is the fundamental position of conservatives of the right in America, to look at someone's skin color and say you get X and look at someone else's skin color and say you get Y is wrong. Critical race theory rejects that. Critical race theory says, no, we have to treat people differently on the basis of skin color because we de- we've decided, we the critical race theorists, that there are pre-existing Racial benefits in society. And so those must be balanced out. And you say, how can any government do this in a way that does not exacerbate racial divides and resentment? How can you implement racial Marxism in America without tearing at the very fundamental premises of America that we are all equal under the law, we're all equal in the, uh, in the eyes of God, and that our race is irrelevant to our status as Americans, to human beings? How how can you do this? How can you implement this ideology without creating all of that damage and dissent and resentment? All well, the Democrats don't worry about that because the Democrat elites who are white view critical race theory as a means of one, creating the or con- continuing perpetuating, uh, huge amounts of minority support political support for them. And also, as I've told you, the Pelosi's and the Schumer's, they are they are perfectly happy giving lip service to critical race theory because they're already rich and powerful and this stuff doesn't really affect them. And they elevate themselves beyond what the the rest of of white America has to deal with. There's no guilt associated with being a white liberal who espouses critical race theory. It's 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 a. Uh, it's moral preening. It's, oh, yes, I've confronted my whiteness. So now I'm a great person. That's what Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schreiber, So I'm one of the good ones. I'm a good person. Uh, but, you know, o- Obama taking shots at critical race theory I mean, was was the country more united along racial lines as a result of some of the primary policies of the Obama administration, some of the primary narratives of the Obama administration It's an interesting question to ask. Remember, the BLM movement started under Barack Obama's watch. The BLM movement happened because of first uh, the beginnings of it, I think you could say, were the George uh, Zimmerman, Trayvon Martin situation, which didn't even involve police. Uh, And then there was the, uh, uh, the Mike Brown shooting in St. Louis, which was a lawful shooting by a law enforcement officer under threat from a criminal. That is what happened but they created a whole story about hands up, don't shoot, as we know. And it was, in fact, the Obama Justice Department that had a investigation of hands up, don't shoot and the whole Mike Brown incident and said, it's just not true. Eric Holder's DOJ had had eyewitnesses that they uh, they interviewed for that. And it just wasn't true. But it didn't matter. It was about the narrative. All right. It was about the narrative, the. Republican Party view of race relations in America is that we to stop discriminating on the basis of race, we must stop discriminating on the basis of race. It's 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 actually quite straightforward. Racial categorization characteristics, any benefits, any help up or pushing down of anybody based upon race, which is itself and, and often amorphous and and. And uh, and sloppy categorization. It doesn't really hold up. And especially as you get into more and more um, of these uh, of, of two race couples having children. So, you know, I mean, my my nephew would be considered biracial, for example, my own nephew is biracial. So does he have to self-categorize or, have, you know, well, where, where does he fall into the CRT when he grows up I and mean, he's a baby now? But where will he fall into the CRT framework? You know, if, if somebody is is, uh, you know, half South, half South Asian by parentage and half white, do they are, are they confronting their whiteness or how does that work? Do these these ideas that, that they put forward are inherently flawed and self-contradictory and divisive and destructive. But when we start to point that out, you'll notice then there's a sensitivity. Whoa, whoa, why, why all the focus on critical race theory all of a sudden? What are you guys doing? No, they much prefer, the left prefers to be able to institute this racial Marxism throughout America without any, without so much as a word of protest from the other side. That would be much more to their liking. And so now that we're actually taking this on... Because, oh, what, we're going to pretend like Democrats don't spend a lot of time talking about race? What, what was BLM, what is BLM all about? Black Lives Matter, but really what's it about? Racism in law enforcement. That's what, that's what is at the heart of it, that, that cops, particularly white cops, kill unarmed black men, and this happens in a way that is systemic and unpunished and is a huge national emergency and crisis. You want to talk about exaggerating something and creating a massive Uh, narrative of catastrophe when it's actually isolated incidents that in the grand scheme of things are quite rare statistically, which is the truth that is in conflict with the central premises of of a central premise of of Black Lives Matter. Um, The BLM movement is, is the perfect example. And we had to go through billions of dollars of damage and people lost their lives and people lost their livelihoods. And tremendous anger and rage displayed for months on end with the BLM movement. What did it accomplish? Nothing. Uh, just destruction and anger. Didn't actually advance. There was no legislation. There was no greater social cohesion afterwards. So they're just just like well, literal arsonists in some cases. But arsonists of our society running around and acting like they're rebuilding. No, they're just burning things down. They're just destroying things. This is what the left so often does. And Obama comes from this school of thought. And Obama's used to being told his entire adult life that everything that he believes when it comes to CRT, everything he believes when it comes to a, a Marxist outlook is brilliant. Oh, my gosh. Everything he says is amazing. Now that there's a greater focus on this and the public is looking at these issues they can come to their own conclusions about hold on a second. is CRT is it is it sensible? Is it coherent? Is it even a is it a good idea in any respect? Or is this just about divide and conquer? Is this just about creating further division and disruption in society so that some people can advance and, and their own power and their own interests? Yeah, I, I think I think we can all see where this is going. And then we get into, Uh, cancel culture we'll get into Obama's view of cancel culture here coming up
2: a lot of the dangers of cancel culture and you know we're just going to be condemning people all the time at least among my daughters that they'll acknowledge that sometimes among uh, their peer group or in college campuses you know you'll see folks going overboard Mm. but they have a pretty good sense of of look um we don't want we don't expect everybody to be perfect we don't expect everybody to be politically correct all the time, but we are gonna call out institutions or individuals if they um, are being cruel, if they are you know discriminating against people. We do want to raise awareness.
1: So just to get a sense of, of Barack Obama's judgment about where America is right now on these issues, I, I wanted you to hear that because he he is making the case. That, okay, yeah, cancel culture, maybe it goes a little far sometimes. But overall, the people who like to use cancel culture, they're really fair-minded about it. They don't expect you to be politically correct all the time. They don't. Bull crap. What world is he living in? What planet is he on? Is he really not able to observe what can get you canceled now? Is he really not able to observe that there's no grace, no forgiveness offered by the cancel frenzy left? Now he knows, but he understands this is a weakness of his own side. It has now gotten to the point where enough Americans of goodwill see what's happening to their country, see what's going on as a result of the cancel culture mania out there, and they're uncomfortable with it. Even some people who are on the left, generally speaking, have started to say, This has really gotten out of hand and that just feeding people to the frenzied mob for their destruction, the annihilation of their career and their reputation, because the most hypersensitive and victimology obsessed among us get some joy out of this. I mean, they like it. You know, the same way that when you actually do uh, psychological studies, you find that People who say, oh, bullies are unhappy with themselves. Yeah, maybe at some subconscious level, but bullies enjoy bullying. That's why they do it. Cancel culture, the the cancel culture shrieks that you hear come from people who enjoy watching the public annihilation of their ideological foes, or they just enjoy the use of the power that they've accrued in this cancel culture world against individuals. They like seeing others careers and reputations lit on fire there's something like you know the villagers in medieval times who would just go see somebody put on the rack go see somebody who's in the stockade and and suffering Ooh, look at that yeah the the state is making them suffer in our name so i'm a part of that power right there's there's a joy that the cancel culture mob derives from all this too don't ever forget that they like it They feel good about themselves for pushing it. And Barack Obama wants to make excuses for them, wants to say that they're usually right. Usually they're just calling out cruelty. Really? The people doing the cruelty these days are those who find the most minute, the the most distant possible violation of some of, of the ever changing codes of cancel culture and call for people to suffer real consequences I mean, call call for the destruction of people's lives, their job gone, their reputation ruined, maybe not able to you know rent a house anymore, or maybe not able to you know find work anymore, their families impoverished, yeah, because you used the wrong pronoun. Oh, because you dead named somebody. How how evil, how awful of you. And I will say this too, even on the pronoun issue. On on, I, I'm. I'm now at a point where I'm hearing conservatives all the time. I mean they're referring they're referring to Caitlyn Jenner, as she. I hear this all the time. Is that is that now what we've decided? Is that where we are? So have we given up? You know notice they say, "Oh, why are you so obsessed with critical race theory?" Well, hold on. It used to be, "Why are you so obsessed with gender pronouns?" And and now it's well, that the right has conceded apparently. Now the right has conceded on this issue. Now you can be canceled For refusing to say that a biological male is, in fact, a female for refusing to accept that that is a a a transition that is that is possible, that is actually medically possible. You know, when they can take a man, you know, even the Biden administration now is referring to birthing people. I'm serious. This is appearing in in real in real documents now from this White House birthing people This would have been a line from a parody of left-wing excess 10 years ago. Now it's standard. But we're the ones who are obsessed with it? No. This is the gaslighting the left does so they can continue to rack up wins while we keep thinking that playing defense on our own goal line somehow makes us the aggressors. We're, We're the ones. We're the oppressive group. The the individual rights, constitutional protection, let people live their lives in peace, try to show some degree of humility and mercy and decency to your fellow human beings at all times. Do your best in that regard. We're the bad people while they keep ramming down racial Marxism and, you know, gender identity politics and all this stuff. at every opportunity they keep push and push and push. And it's never enough. Never placated. There's always another realm to go to. There's always, oh, well, you know, now it has to be that 12 year olds take the, uh, you know, hormone transfer drugs. Now it has to be, this is what we face. We are in a fight, friends. The question is do we fight back or do we just allow it to be a one way war? Is that where we are here? A culture war in which only one side gets to fight. And anytime the other side gets tired of getting punched in the face, the side that's been doing all the punching up that point says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why are you getting so aggressive? Why are you getting so aggressive? Yeah, that's what's happening now. And I think we we see this, we understand this, and there's a a recognition that is growing among conservatives that we are losing ground here. We keep we lost ground. I hate to say we lost ground in the culture war under four years of the Trump presidency, too. It was slower. There was some pushback. But when you when all said and done, do you really think that we we gained? We ended the Trump presidency, told we couldn't go to church, and then we had to wear two cloth masks over our faces or else we're evil. We're really going to act like we had a four year, four year run for victory, a four year run of victory for freedom. I don't think so. Let's check in with our friend Ryan Gerdusky. He's the author of They're Not Listening, How the Elites Created a National Populist Revolution. He's a political consultant with his finger on the pulse of what's going on actually behind the scenes in the GOP and across the country. Mr. Goduski, great to have you back. Thanks for having me. So you, did you see the Kamala interview? Because I got to say, this for me, even I've always thought that Kamala was someone who very popular in the CNN green rooms and executive suite and like not anywhere else in America, it seems really. I mean, not with Democrat voters, not with the Democrat base, but the people who run stuff like Kamala a lot. You see this interview, and you say, it's amazing that this woman even became a senator from California. Never mind that she's actually now the vice president of the United
6: States. Well, and it wasn't a hard interview. Like, that's the crazy. They didn't sit there and say who is the vice president of Guatemala or, you know, the top three most populous cities that these migrants are coming from. It wasn't, this wasn't a jeopardy question. Do you remember back in 08 when Obama versus Hillary and they asked, you know, Hillary who the president of of Swaziland was? And then they asked Biden, Obama if he was comfortable. Remember that? I mean, that was like they were throwing like very, this reminds me of Trump, the Trump administration people versus the Biden administration people. They're not throwing hardballs at them. And she blatantly lied and she really thought she was going to get away with it when she said, We've been to the border six or seven times in a row and he just said you haven't and then she goes well we haven't been to europe yet she seems so delusional to the entire thing and 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 looking at it and examining this entire uh migrant crisis as being the product of discrimination against lgbt uh uh, people in central america and and um and uh, climate change those are the two issues that she really thinks she thinks as if on january 2021 the things that made this gigantic wave of hundreds of thousands of people pay coyotes and, and 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 uh and human smugglers billions of dollars was i don't know this crackdown against gays in guatemala and honduras it's it's totally bizarre she's living in a, par- a parallel universe and she's so used to and democrats are so used to the media sitting there and saying uh you know ignore it we'll give you an easy we'll give you an easy way out we'll we'll, you know we'll we'll give you an easy we'll we'll let you we'll let you lie through the through our interviews that she thought she could just lie through this one again you know that she had been to the border and you know her answer was well i've never been to europe either
1: it was amazing that lester holt in the interview too you could tell he didn't want to be the he didn't want to push her on anything but he he was like well I mean you haven't actually been to the border. It was actually kind of funny. He's like he's like look lady I I can't you're the vice president. I'm a democrat, you're a democrat. Like I wish I could be, but I mean I, I, I there is some level of like I got to be I got to be somewhat
5: real here.
6: And you think that you would think that her people, her media handlers, would have sat there and said, "You need a better answer to another country or continent." You have. I'm actually kind of shocked that Kamala has never been to Europe. But she, I mean, she used to live in Canada. She's not a, a not you know she's not been she's not she's not worldly. She's like she's not traveled. But she said, you know, I haven't been to Europe either, which is uh, you know that was that was such a bizarre answer. And I guess they're so used to the media just, you know, licking their chops to praise them. Brian Stelter had on uh, Jen Psaki the other day, and he said, what could we be doing better for you? That was his hardball question. I mean, I mean, uh, you know, and it, it's not shocking how then the media, how Americans are just being gaslit into believing all kinds of lies um, that the media is throwing at them. Think, and, and, and why Biden's approval rating is still above 50%. I guess if you don't see a crisis and you don't hear about a crisis, it's hard to have a negative opinion about the crisis.
1: Speaking of Ryan Gardusky, author of They're Not Listening, How the Elites Created a National Populist Revolution. And Ryan, you're, tell us again about this this uh, super PAC that you're creating that's going I, after. I, uh, tell, tell us how cr- that's going. Cr- and, and critical see, racer,
6: yes. I, cr- I started a super PAC two weeks ago called the 1776 Project PAC, P-A-C, 1776 C, 1776projectpack.com. And what it does is it's going to campaign for candidates running for school boards, the first national school board pack um, who oppose critical race theory. Critical race theory is the belief that we can inject basically uh, Marxism vis-a-vis racial uh, animosities between white people and and non-whites. And they have a whole re-education of the history of America. They want to socially engineer America through a Marxist prism based solely on race, that every inequity and every inequality in society – was specifically created. It is. It is not just didn't just happen. It actually was specifically created to keep non-whites down. So, uh, the pack has been doing great. We raised over fifty thousand dollars in two weeks from over six hundred individual donors across the country. It's been really incredible how how many people have reached out to us, and hopefully by the end of the summer. We will have a list of endorsements and school boards we're going to be announcing we're campaigning for on behalf of school board candidates. And, um, yeah, I, I'm very hopeful for it. I think, that, I think that getting involved in curriculum is where conservatives have been missing out on because they've been so focused on things like school choice. And, and you know, we, we've all heard these, the same talking points from conservatives for decades of education, but we've really missed out on curriculum. And I think curriculum and the public education is really where the fight needs to be.
1: You have Barack Obama, the former president and still really the most beloved and powerful Democrat, I think, out there on the scene uh, saying who knew the single most important issue right now for the GOP is critical race theory. And he said that the right wing media is stoking fear uh, for for white uh, of white Americans. Um, I got to say, man, this whenever the left starts to say why are you, Why are you guys so focused on this thing that they're so focused on? That this is a trap that a lot of people fall into. This is like the pronoun thing. Oh, why are you so focused on on you know preferred pronouns, right wing people? What's your problem? Well, because they've been running a campaign for a long time to brainwash everybody into thinking that you know Z or Z or whatever is a pronoun you have to use now for people. That's why we're focused yeah. on it. And with CRT, it strikes me as the same thing. I mean they they clearly have made a huge push on this. And now you're starting to hear, hey, what's with all this right wing focus on CRT? Because they don't like the pressure.
6: Conservatives shouldn't care about children, you know, pushing self-castration on children. We need to focus on what Apple stock is like. I mean, this is what they want to sell us on rather than what, what should be sold on. This is – critical race theory is really the most important fight. It's in grammar schools all across this country. Um, it's not in every school, by the way. I want to make it perfectly clear. There are schools that don't have, but it's in, it's in thousands of classrooms across the country. And it teaches non-white children that they cannot succeed in life because the country is built against them. It tells white children that they are born oppressors and that the history of this country and all the foundations that we have had as a nation for 200-some-odd years – is they're all institutionally racist and they need to be broken apart. And that's why you have a lot of kids coming out of these things completely mind-warped into assuming you know, both a self-hatred for themselves if they're white or just angry at the country and believing that everything is working against them and it gives them excuses um, why, why it's appropriate for them to fail in life. It is the most detrimental way of thinking – for both it and it's so harmful for both non-white children and and white children and it's incorporated in, in, in corporate america it's incorporated in the military i mean it's in all branches of 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 civil society and it needs to be broken apart and defeated and this is the 1776 project pack is my little way of being able to fight back at it on some institutional level.
1: Speaking of Ryan Gurdusky, he started the 1776 PAC, as he just said, and is also the author of They're Not Listening How the Elites Created the National Populist Revolution. And, and Ryan, have you seen or, or heard uh, the audio of this this psychiatrist at Yale who's talking oh, yeah. about fantasizing yes. the shooting white people in the head? What, what's yes. so. This is. Yes, it's 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 horrifying, and but but what's so amazing to me is that this was said at Yale on a you know on a, in a public lecture, public forum, Zoom call. People saw it, and not only did they not think it was a huge problem, there are people that are quoted like other Yale professors who say it was really good. I'm sitting here yes. like this is the world we live in now, folks.
6: Yeah, no, it's true, and there has been multiple studies on this that white liberals are the only. Are the only group to have negative, in-group opinions about other uh, people of their race. So you know, blacks, Hispanics, Asians, all other people will look at someone of their own race and have a positive feeling. White liberals are the only ones to not have that, and in fact, have an inverse feeling, a negative feeling. And it's 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 insane. A lot of this hatred is coming from these white progressives who look at you know white people as truly the enemy. Of of uh, you know of of every other type of person, that doesn't mean that there's you know never been racism in our country or never been you know a racist alive, but to imagine that this country that gave people like Oprah Winfrey and Michael Jordan billion dollar multi billion dollar fortunes, elected a black president and uh, hundreds of members of of state legislators, Congress and and senators over the course of our history as being you know, systematically oppressing them time and time and time again forever and ever and always is just it's its not living in this reality. And, you know, I mean, listen, if you want to sit there and, and pretend you're pretend you're a, an animal or have a fantasy in the privacy of your own house, go ahead and do it. But don't impress it and push it on children in grammar schools and, and primary schools.
1: And another thing that I find remarkable, uh, Ryan, is there are all these 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 clips that are going viral of people who are, are on TikTok and they're talking about pansexuality? And, oh,
6: you saw that one?
1: Yeah, and and yes, that was weird. And yes, it was very weird. And <laughs> Democrats, I mean, it's so weird. I don't even think I can play it for this audience. And and what's amazing is like the leftists that I know, they keep saying, "Why are you guys also worked up about things?" And I'll say, well, "What about the 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 very odd, very disturbed lady?" Uh, I, I'm assuming lady. Who you know was talking about being a pansexual? I don't even know what that. I, I mean, I know what it means in terms of the the actual you know. She was prefix. talking
6: about pansexuals having aggression towards bisexuals, and then some other sexuals were crossed in between. Mind you, for those who haven't seen the video, she has black eyeliner smearing down her face with like multiple uh, facial piercings across her entire face, um, and that is and that's the person we're supposed to be taking seriously, and a and a bowl haircut. From, you know, from like the 90s, uh, that is that is what this well, look well, like what's I
1: remarkable think. is that is that we and, you know, and Obama also recently talked about cancel culture and how sometimes it can be a little excessive. But overall, they they love this accountability word now. They'll say, well, it's really about accountability. What's fascinating is that we're not allowed to cancel absurd, detrimental, crazy, honestly, ideas that are that are that look like they're just mental illness on display. It, that's people like living their truth or, or establishing their personhood or whatever it is. But if you want to be like, Hey, I'm like a, you know, I'm a traditional Roman Catholic who like believes in church teaching. It's like, how dare you?
6: Oh, this- oh you know, uh, yeah, you're the, and they explicitly say you're the enemy. If you believe they also, I mean, the worst part of critical race that people don't realize is they, they mock up certain habits of, of, of people as being – if you're an entrepreneur, you are supporting whiteness. If you believe in individualism, you're supporting whiteness. It's not a matter of like if you are white. If you are a black person who does not believe in critical race theory, if you're like Candace Owens or Clarence Thomas, you are internalized whiteness. The, I mean this is this is so delusional. And this is becoming corporate-sponsored – I'm probably soon under the Biden administration sp- – state-sponsored racism. And that's how it has to be viewed. You can't think of this as you know the extension of, of the Civil Rights Act. This is state-sponsored racism. This is truly what we would oppose if it was happening to any other race – in this country, but the fact that's happening to white people, there's a lot of white progressives who have supported it, but that's because they have a problem with white people. It's not because this isn't racism.
1: Where do people go, Ryan, for the 1776 pack?
6: 1776 Project Pack P A C dot com. Ryan Gruduski, everybody.
1: Ryan, thank you so much. Thank you.
6: Why are you wear a mascot? Sure I just feel like I has to wear it. I don't
7: know why. I just wanna wear it. I guess, like, my friends wear them, so I'm like, if I'm, i I might as well just... I feel like I won't take off my mask until everybody does. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: We have Your a pressure. Very Role modeling, right? I mean, it's just if it, there's a lot of anxieties with taking the mask off, you know, for the first time. So it's, because probably, it's been you know, so long. Yeah, it's like a social anxiety at this point. It's just,
6: you know, mental well-being and stuff.
7: So it's virtually impossible. To get coronavirus outside while you're vaccinated. Okay. Does that change your thought process at all? Not really, I'm just gonna keep wearing it. I personally still wouldn't wanna take the the risk anyway, and I don't trust anyone else, so I'm just doing it for my health.
0: Even if the science said it was like basically impossible, it still does not matter? Yeah. Extra precaution.
7: Because I wanna protect others, and there's still a risk no matter what, so. It's also a little bit of a protest, in a way.
6: The the protest being like,
7: being. I shouldn't be
5: uh, given the privilege to not
1: wear a mask. It's a protest because I shouldn't be given the privilege to not wear a mask. Ami Horowitz, a documentary filmmaker and a longtime friend of mine, doing some just walking around asking folks who are wearing masks outside. And at least some of whom, if not all of whom are vaccinated. I mean, at this point, if you're an outdoor masker, I, I assume you're also vaccinated, right? Because if you're so concerned about COVID that you'd wear a mask outdoors, even after the CDC says it is not necessary, it is not medically necessary. Then I'm assuming you got the vaccination, right? Because that actually does create a, a, a very real and, and very provable layer of protection that that works quite well for people, Um uh, but it's remarkable isn't it, to hear hear those answers and and I'm really troubled by this. I didn't think that this could happen in this country. I, I, I gave the American people overall more credit on this on this point than is, is deserved. Yeah, about about half of us, roughly speaking, think that being told you must wear a, a cloth Uh, A cloth restriction across your your mouth and your nose for basically all of your public life, including just being outdoors, is insane and is absurd and is tyrannical. Uh, About half of us kind of figured that out, knew that at one level or another for the for the whole thing. But about half the country is like, yeah, sure, I'll mask up. I'll double mask. I'll triple mask anything you say. And the propaganda around this is so effective that now they keep doing it. And we all know it's not comfortable. It doesn't feel good. It's weird. But they keep doing it even when they have no explanation to give for why they're doing it. But they just know about the signaling and the symbolism behind it. They know that this is what the good people are supposed to do. And that was really the process for so many who became mask maniacs. I mean, I I have contempt for people that went around telling telling others in public places to mask up. Those people are sheep. I'm contemptuous of their intellectual and moral and character insufficiency. I think it's gross what they did. People want to wear a mask themselves, fun. Uh, that that's I don't have I don't get angry about that. I think it's silly, but That's I'm talking about the people that went around being the mask shamers. Now we see that the mentality was so strong among the mask shamer types that they still wear them, even when there is actually no reason for it whatsoever. It's like walking around, you know, and and covering yourself in a rubber tarp because you're afraid you're going to get hit by lightning. Is that reasonable? Our man from Staten Island joins us now. Joe Borelli of the New York City Council. Mr. Borelli, great to have you.
0: Great to be here as always, Buck. Thanks for having me.
1: So tell me this. What is going on in NYC right now with this mayor's race? What do we have to pay attention to? Who's going to do what? Who stands for what? Break it down.
0: Well, I mean, you have New York on the precipice of going back to the bad old days of rising crime, fleeing population, uh, decline in business opportunities, a decline in new businesses, job market, the draining of office space in lower Manhattan. And from the sound of it, you would actually not think that the Democrats lived in the same city. You had Maya Wiley, who is sort of the darling on the left. She was an MSNBC contributor um, endorsed by AOC. You know, she actually reacted to a a shooting, a a horrible shooting of a 10-year-old boy in Queens by tweeting out that it was the NYPD's fault for not protecting this kid. Uh, meanwhile, you know she's against every single policy that even rational Democrats are in favor of when it comes to to proactive policing, and going after guns on the street. And it, it's just an incredible, ch- just change in, in mentality uh, of what Democrats expect the public to buy into. It's almost like they don't see the, the, this this calamitous collapse of the city right in front of them. It's scary, Buck, and, and, and you, look, you're a resident and, uh, you know, it's one of those things where you're going to have to make a gut check, as are the Borelli family, of whether it's worth staying here for the long haul.
1: Are any of the Democrat mayoral candidates for America's biggest city serious about dealing with this crime issue? I mean, I, I'm sure they're all going to say they are, but in terms of the policies they would pursue and the willingness to do what will upset the anti-cop defund the police left, is there any Democrat in the race who you think will at least take the problem with the seriousness that it deserves?
5: Well, well
0: let's let's start here. No. I mean, uh, you know, I'm, I'm supporting Curtis Lewa, who's a Republican. He should win the Republican primary fairly well. If you're listening and live in New York, make sure you vote. Early voting starts on Saturday. Uh, make sure you vote for Curtis Lewa, because that is the only way you can ensure someone who respects the police wants to make sure they do their job correctly and rightly and justly. Uh, the only way you get that is with Curtis Lewa. There are Democrats um, on the spectrum. And, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we had a, a, a horrific shooting that grabbed headlines in Times Square uh, where some tourists were shot. Uh, and it, it did sort of change the, the 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 verbiage that some of the candidates were using, where it went from, you know, strictly hashtag defund the police to, uh, of course, the police are part of the solution against gun violence. You know, it was like, that one headline seemed to scare them because it really did scare a lot of people in New York City. It was, it, it was one of those incidents. And these incidents have happened when, you know, Rudy Giuliani was the mayor and Bloomberg was the mayor. There's always crimes that grab headlines. But this really did send a shockwave into the New York political world that, that you know, just as we're starting to reopen, just as, you know, God bless. There was a, The person who got shot was a tourist. I mean, just as a tourist was returning to Times Square, the, the, the poor lady gets shot. Um, and it, it did change the momentum. It did change sort of the, the verbiage. But the, the, re- the issue is the left doesn't go away. I mean, these candidates will say anything they have to say. I mean, they change their position with the wind. So we know that once they're elected, once they're in office, they're going to be like every other radical progressive. And they're going to have their eye uh, on the White House, as as the mayor of New York City often does, never successfully, but often does. And they're going to try to be the, 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 the cheerleader for the woke left I and mean, build the Blasio you know, try this. He, he wasn't successful. He wasn't successful as mayor. And, and probably, you know, there's really no world where he would have been successful in the presidential race. But the next mayor could be more successful in, in implementing progressive policy and be a real contender.
1: Speaking of Joe Borelli of the New York City Council uh, and also a frequent guest, you see him on Fox News as well as listen to him here on this show. Joe, what is, what are the the Democrats on City Council, for example? I mean, this New York City is becoming a crime story that the whole country is paying attention to. That's where we are now, because you have the largest not only the largest data set to draw upon, it's the biggest population, you also have the story of the near miracle of the crime drop from the '90s into the 2000s and then into the 2010s. And now it looks like it's dramatically going in the wrong direction. Do the people who are in the Democrat Party of New York City do they understand? The gravity of the situation or are they just are they are they diluted about the trajectory of the city? What's what's the tone from the left about this when you're hearing them talking about this at city well, council? well,
0: That's the that's the crazy thing. You know, the, the public is aware and they are scared and they are concerned. Um, But these candidates, they pander to a very small fraction of voters. I mean, Bill de Blasio became mayor of New York City because one hundred thousand people voted for. him. I I can't do the math, but that's about nine percent of the population. Um, you know, th- that's incredibly low ver- voter turnout. So when you go to a neighborhood that is plagued with crime, and I mean, ask any cop, I mean, don't believe me, ask any cop on the beat who, who gets branded as this, you know, right-wing uh, bootstomper, uh, ask them about the people in these neighborhoods because there are great people in every single neighborhood in New York City. And frankly, they they are ang- as angry and as aggravated as the rest of us. And in any neighborhood, the worst precinct in New York City it's still 1% of, of people, if even that, who are committing all these violent crimes. And the problem is that all of democratic policy, from reforming the way police officers operate to reforming the criminal justice system on the court side, it seems to cater to making the lives of these 1% of criminals more simple and easier, more, more whatever, more, more progressive at the expense of the 99% of everyone else Who just wants to go to work, you know, celebrate their their family milestones and get on with their life.
1: Speaking of Joe Borelli of the New York City Council and Joe, Governor Cuomo still thinks of himself clearly from these press conferences and all the rest as the the great decider in New York state of pandemic policy. Where are we now as of of this moment on masks for kids and and masks for kids outside in school? And I, I just preface this by saying Kids should have never worn masks outside. The fact that we're even having this conversation is insane. But the Democrat Party's favorite pandemic governor, what, what is the latest?
0: Well, it really it really makes you think once these masks go away, it's like, what are what are these people going to have going for them? Like, like these real Karens who just, you know, uh, just prey on people who aren't wearing masks in their local supermarket. It's just incredible that there's such little in their life going on that they would be just so pro mask and pro everyone else wearing a mask. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out when when sort of that that that, you know, life goal of of being a a nanny state masker uh, is no longer possible. But on the policy side, you had on one day the State Department of Health, who you would presume makes health policy. They said that we're changing the rules. You know, kids no longer need to wear masks in school anymore. The New York City Department of Education and the State Department of Education, as soon as that was announced, parents rejoiced. Uh, even, you know, there was a candidate for governor, a Republican, a friend of mine. I want to mention his name because it sounds silly now. But he sent out, a, 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 a you know, a, an email blast saying we did it. We put pressure on Cuomo and, and he changed the math policy right after all that. The State Department of Education, the New York City Department of Education, they unanimously said, no, we are still wearing masks uh, basically in the foreseeable future through the end of the school year.
1: It's amazing how people are clinging to them. And I'm seeing it where I live all over my building. Everyone's still masked up. They're all vaxxed and they're basically all young and healthy. And they're masking up all over the place inside still. It's it's stunning to me, including in the gym. But Joe Borelli, our man from Staten Island, always dropping some truth bombs for us. Joe, great to have
0: you. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, sir. Take care. Ain't no party like a Team Buck party, because a Team Buck party don't stop. It's time for Roll Call.
1: Roll Call. My friend, Producer Mark, did you watch any games last night? Anything fun on your radar?
7: Yeah, something fun, actually. Uh, The Foo Fighters just announced the first 100% capacity concert in New York, since uh, March of 2020, and I'll be attending at Madison Square Garden in 12 well, that's days. Awesome. I'm very excited.
1: I gotta say, we like a lot of the same music. I think the Foo Fighters are great.
7: Foo Fighters are awesome. I've seen them live. I saw them, remember when Dave Grohl broke his leg during a tour?
1: I don't know them that well, but okay. okay. I mean, all right. Fair so enough. Dave
7: Grohl broke his leg during a tour, and he they built a throne so he could keep performing. So he was just sitting there at City Field, and I saw them a couple years ago win that, and they're awesome. So uh, I'm excited. It should be a fun time.
1: That's cool. Yeah, no, he's a he's a he's a real rock star. You know, there's few of them that, left. There's not that many of them left. But he's an actual rock star. You know, there's like uh, Aerosmith or those guys. I think they all qualify for uh, social security benefits now. And uh, you know, there's Aerosmith. There's um, uh, you know, there's Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters. You know, there's some the, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, rock stars. Yeah, not a lot of rock stars. A lot of pop, hip hop, and uh, country stars out there right now. But true rock stars, you, it feels like we, we've entered an era where, you know, you got the old rock. The old rockers are really the top rockers.
7: Yeah, they're the only ones around. I can't name a newer rock band. Like, there's alternative bands. Like, if you want to call Panic at the Disco a band, or that kind of genre. Yeah. But I think I've of always more liked the punk. Black
1: Keys. I feel like they're kind of old school rock.
7: Yeah, I would. I would agree do, with that.
1: Do you know them? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. righty. Uh, let's get into a roll call Well congrats producer Mark That'll be really exciting Let's get into a okay. roll call here We got uh, first up Cooper Oh Do you know producer Mark That a Cooper Is actually a profession And it is a person Who makes barrels
7: Huh I did not know that
1: A Cooper is a person Who makes barrels Why are so, yes, they I called just, Coopers I do not know Okay But I know that a Cooper Is a A farrier is a person Who, who is making sure That the horses are shod Makes horseshoes A cooper is a person who makes barrels. A baker is a person who bakes. We all know that one, right? So these are all names that are uh, professions.
7: I like bakers better than coopers, but nothing against coopers. Bakers just give me treats.
1: Yeah, if I can have one of my family, I feel like I'll go buy my barrel at Bed Bath & Beyond. I'd rather have somebody who's making me cookies.
7: Exactly. Yeah,
1: that's fair. All right, well, Cooper, I don't even know if Cooper knew his name, what it was all about. Buck, I've been listening to your show for about two years now. I can't begin to describe... How refreshing it is to hear my own thoughts and opinions expressed in such an intelligent and articulate manner. I know in my heart and mind what's right and wrong, but I've never been good enough with words to truly express that to the people around me. When I get into a debate, I often think, how would Buck say this? You have an amazing talent. And I'm so appreciative of what you do. Thank you. Keep up the good work. Cooper, that is really kind of you, man. I appreciate that a lot. And that kind of stuff, knowing that there are f- folks out there who, who have that run through their head. What would Buck say if they're in a debate, you know? Uh, that motivates me to try to just do the strongest shows I can every day and and put out their lines of argument and approaches to rhetoric and and debate that will be useful for all of you in your own lives and your own thought processes. So that's really one of the highest goals here on the show. But I always want to entertain you. But I certainly hope that at some level you just feel like by listening to this show, you're getting you're getting a um, an approach to argument. And and hearing a a way of it's funny now I'm not sounding very articulate at all as I'm trying to describe this but you're hearing the way that I do it and that that may be able to influence support and and perfect your own uh, discussions debates and and ways you think about these things that's that's my honestly one of my top goals for this Matthew uh, OSS member here okay not original Saturday Squad but original Spokane Squad. When people want to fix schools and make them better, uh, when they want to fix roads and make them better, fix hospitals. The one thing they do in every situation is put more money into that project. The, then logic would say, we need to invest more money to fix and help make police forces better. Matthew, you raise a variant interesting... First of all, thank you so much, and uh, welcome from the original Spokane squad. Uh, I'll take it. The... Police forces getting more funding. Yeah, but what you're what you're pointing out here is that the Democrats essentially want more money for all aspects of government. Every government employee should get more money, more funding, bigger paycheck as far as the Democrats are concerned, except police forces. Police should have budgets cut. Police will be more effective at their jobs if they are defunded. Because even the, the more radical leftists that I talk to, they stay away from the disband or abolish police thing. They'll say it, but then they'll say, well, I don't really mean abolish police. You know, they, they play these word games, uh, but they recognize that at some level, you know, they can point to a, a country like, you know, like uh, like Britain or Japan and say, well, they they have police that aren't even armed. Right. Well. Yeah, but they also do have I mean, if, if somebody, you know, calls in, a, you know, somebody calls in a terror threat, for example, in in London, uh, you're going to see very highly trained guys with machine guns showing up very quickly. Right. I mean, it's not, you know, so so you get into at some level, everyone understands that if the state is going to enforce its will, it has to have force. It can't just it can't just ask people gently to comply. So they need they need cops at some level. But the defund movement is saying, well, we just need far less money for them and more money for other things that will make law enforcement less the front line of dealing with it. And to that, I just go back to your point here, Matthew. Oh, so only cops are the only employees out there who will be better at their jobs with fewer resources, which I think is the, the, the essential point you're making here. Only cops, only cops get better with less money when while working as a government. A government entity so yes excellent Matthew well done Steve I know Buck's too famous and busy now for a response <laughs> but I'm really excited about this Buck is very insightful down-to-earth conservative talk show host and he gives me hope for the future it'll be a definite bump up for my spirit each afternoon at work when I have time to listen on the road between jobs well Steve thank you man and don't worry uh, I've always I've, I've always got my feet on the ground because I got producer Mark watching over me like a hawk who will point out that my head is literally large but also figuratively is not allowed to get large, right?
7: Yeah, figuratively, you can't even walk through any door right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. figuratively, the head may be a little big, but producer Mark is there to make sure that it stays nice and compact so it can actually fit into, into helmets or hats that are not my special-sized hats, which, as I've had to tell you, I have, had to, I have actually had to buy special baseball hats so that I can have a hat that fits my giant head.
7: If there's ever Clay and Buck show swag, they're going to have to get, like, a giant hat, hat for
1: yeah, you. Yeah, giant hats, yep. Josh, hey, Buck, congratulations on the new opportunity. I've listened for years. It's good to know I've made a good decision trusting you all these years. Josh, thank you. I appreciate that. Also, everything you predict comes true, and you're pretty entertaining. Here's my prediction. I'm with Ron DeSantis 2024. I think Trump really loves our country enough, and he'll eventually endorse DeSantis. I think on a policy level, he's a lot like Trump. He's much less polarizing and has tremendous results through the pandemic. Uh, the media will obviously start making allegations about him and people around him. Let's see how crazy they can be this time. Josh, uh, thank you so much, man. And yeah, I, I think for a lot of people that are team buck, especially that have been team buck for years, you know, I, I I do feel like this is a win for all of us that I'm going into the 12 to three because I am like the band that they saw, especially OSS, original Saturday squad. I'm the band that they saw playing a venue with 30 people with a $5 cover charge and now this is the I mean, this is the radio equivalent soon of being Foo Fighters at Madison Square Garden with producer Mark showing up. I mean, that's that is the transformation we've seen here over the last 10 years of the Buck Sexton show. So I, I Josh, I appreciate that a lot. And thank you very much for writing in. And uh, team, uh, I'm with you every day this week. Next week, we're going to have some guest host in. I'll tell you more about that tomorrow. But uh, here with you every day this week. So keep passing the buck. Remember, the Buck Sexton podcast continues so if you're a podcast listener that doesn't change at all you're gonna hear me every day just me on the podcast uh but back tomorrow on radio shields high